Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack got mad boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack got mad boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Welcome to Car Stuff a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm your host, Scott Benjamin. I'm Ben Bolin. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Kurt Vitamin G. Garen. How's it going, Kurt? It's going great. What's up, dudes? The name stuck. Vitamin G. Vitamin K. Is there actually, there's an actually a vitamin K, isn't there? There is. Yeah, maybe that's a better one. Maybe we should go with vitamin K. Was well, that a drug? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I think vitamin... Yeah, now, full disclosure... You did come up with vitamin G off air, and I think Kurt and I are both 100% on board. It's just such a cool nickname, and it's tough to make a good nickname. What about Special K? He could be that's Special the, K. That's the drug. That's the, that's <laughs> yeah, that's ketamine, the drug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is Angel Dust? Is that Angel Dust? Wait, uh, special, ketamine. Wait, 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 wait. Special K is a drug? I thought that was a breakfast cereal. It's, Isn't that right? Well, it is. Okay. It's also a it's street Kellogg's name. Corn. Kellogg's Cornflakes, they call that Special K, don't they? Yeah, it's been confusing uh, a lot of CD <laughs> drug dealers. Oh, boy. <laughs> drug <Yeah>. dealers. <laughs> you know, there's there's some guy in the alley just trying to sell some Kellogg's. <laughs> and everybody's disappointed. <laughs> it's, but it's funny, it's like it's a it's a tiger. And he's got like a, like a bandana on. He's all kind of scruffy looking. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of like got a hoarse voice. Hasn't been working for a while. No, I'm just kidding. Tony, if you're listening... Mr. Mr. Tiger, I'll call him Mr. Tiger. Yeah. Um. No disrespect meant. Yeah. So are you saying that. that Special K is like the that's a different trash brand? Actually, Frosted Flakes <laughs> is is Frosted Flakes Kellogg? Well, whatever. Anyway. It is. Yeah. Okay. But it's like Special K is the unsweetened version. Or yeah. Something. I think you're right. Instead then, of Frosted Flakes. Yeah, that's right. Now, before we, gentlemen, before we <laughs> begin today's episode, wait, this is really important, Ben. We got to figure this out. <laughs> I I, I want to advance. Uh, an, I want to air a grievance about cereal in specific and uh, about food products in general. As you know, I'm a very food-motivated person, and I still have not gotten that party sub. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend said it was ridiculous (laughs) because there are apparently only two of us. (laughs) I I texted her right after we did that previous episode. Anyway, here it is. Uh, Do you guys remember Raisin Bran? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I was never a fan of raisin bran. Two scoops of raisins. See, here we go. Oh. Here we go. This oh, am is I your... at the heart of the problem? Yes. Here, I, I had no cut idea. To, you cut to the quick. Oh, I am so sorry. No, this is perfect. Yeah, okay. I mean, you're, you're saving us time because we shouldn't be nice about it. Have you ever heard of this thing called shrinkflation? No, but I've never heard the term, but I think I know what you're getting at. So there are fewer and fewer, like the the price of a box of cereal is staying the same, yeah. but the amount of cereal you get is dwindling. But the boxes stay in the same size. And the boxes stay in the same size. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, just like when uh, <laughs> when you see uh, maybe a can of your favorite beverage or something yeah. and you know that the... Uh, the curvature at the bottom of it has increased. Oh, false bottom. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. when you buy uh, candy bars and you notice that they've they've literally, like on Cadbury candies, they've literally cut the corners yeah. to save 8% of uh, the chocolate that would normally be used in the bar. All right. I'm trying to think of an example of this. It seems like there was an airline example of this recently. Not recently, I shouldn't say. <laughs> Gosh, it's decades ago. Oh, now. okay. But when they used to serve in-flight meals. And I think it was something crazy like, you know, by not putting an olive on, you know, whatever the sandwich was, a single olive or a single slice of an olive, this airline saved like $100,000 a year or something. It was some crazy That's amount wild. of money. But it shows you the scale of, of what a small change like that can mean to a big company. There we go. That's right. We are going to segue to, to what this episode's about. Thank you for letting me complain about this. Uh, I, I've just, I've been noticing it more and more. It's one of those things you can't unsee. Can I uh, make one other food-related uh, comment oh my God. right now? Always. I, I'm looking at you right now. Yeah. And you have a Coca-Cola in front of you. I do. Right here, in, probably bottled right here in Atlanta, if I had to guess. Yeah. Not yeah. a Coca-Cola commercial, by the way. But, I, yeah. but what I want to point out is uh, that you're using a uh, paper straw. And yeah. I know that's the the right thing to do, apparently. Mm. And uh, I'm I'm not I'm not on board with this whole thing. Mm. Oh. The texture bothers me immensely. On those do you things. need me to and put it away? And they fall apart. No, no, no. I'm saying like no, if, no. It's not one of those like we, like I am upset by using it. I just can't use it myself. I feel like they stick to my lips. They just feel weird. Yeah. And, like they just don't feel like a straw is supposed to feel. So I do tend to use a straw from drinking soda. Mm -hmm. However, when this whole plastic straw thing happened, I get it, I get it, you know, do your best to make the world a better place and so on. But the thing is that the vast majority of plastic pollution in the ocean is coming from commercial fishing. Mm -hmm. It's not coming from, you know, Johnny or Jane America using a plastic straw when they go to McDonald's. But we at, at our office now, we only have paper straws. We don't have the flexible straws anymore, mm. which is a shame because those, oh, yeah. those, those are fun. There's a superior straw. Everybody loves the bendy straws, right? I mean, I, I think, think I think so. I think everybody across the board, you know, whether you're young, you're old, you love the bendy straw. It's so yeah. disappointing when you get one and you put it in the wrong way. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good and point. then you discover that it was the bendy one too late. <laughs> I've done that before. Yeah, yeah that's it's, it's worse. Yeah, you're right. It's I, not I, the worst, but I've forgotten about the disappointment that leads to. Yeah, just disappointing. Yeah. I guess if you did that in like a milkshake or something, that'd be the worst. I mean, you can you can flip it around if it's in water or something. Fine. I guess, but we can't be defined by our regrets. Taylor, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you say we talk about a, a museum today? How about that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I've been uh, as you as you guys know, I'm increasingly. <laughs> 
Great segue. Well, yeah, we're, what, 20 minutes into yeah. the episode, and uh, maybe we'll talk about some cars today. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. we'll get to it. So I'm maybe. increasingly being, uh, now in our, our current incarnation of car stuff, I'm increasingly finding myself being a on-the-road correspondent. Yeah, uh, awesome. Yeah, that's, cool. I, that's great. I, I love being able to do this. I love being able to find these amazing museums, these amazing stories, a lot of stuff, Scott, that you and I have been talking about for years. Mm-hmm. I love being able to go there in person. Recently, I was stranded in Los Angeles due to a series of cartoonish and, uh, in retrospect, hilarious circumstances. And I finally, you know, I, I did that thing where I was thinking, oh, I'm stuck here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here for a day. I don't have uh, I don't have a, a ton of stuff planned, uh, so I can either just wander the streets, mm-hmm. which I do often, or I could do something productive, <laughs> which I do less often. <laughs> so, so I finally did it. I took you up on your recommendation from years ago, and I went to visit the Peterson Museum. Fantastic. Right. Yeah, and, and what was your impression the very moment you walked into that museum? Because it does make an impression immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it hit me before it hit me before I walked in because I I got a sense of the scale of the building. Like we've all seen the pictures, yeah. but it didn't really hit me how large the museum actually is. It has kind of a, a funky design, doesn't it? I mean, it's right. a, like really um uh rounded. It's not it's not squared off in any way. It's it's uh it's a very free form, very organic looking building with uh, uh there's like red I think it's a red accent behind it, or that's maybe just lighting that they could change. I don't know. I, I can't remember, but it's metal on the outside. Very striking building design just as you approach the building. But then when you go inside, mm-hmm. like once you're in, and that's the renovated version, which we'll talk about renovation and all that as right. we go through here, because that's part of the uh, the history of the building itself, which is, a, it's, eh, I guess I could call it like a semi-historic building, right, in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, but... Uh, when you right when you walk in, I mean, you know you're in for something special here at the at the Peterson Museum. Yeah, absolutely, and it was a lot to uh, take in because when I first walked in, I thought, okay, this will be this will be pretty simple. I can just th- there's probably like a point A you start at and a point Z you end at or mm-hmm. whatever. But the way the museum is laid out is in terms of rotating exhibits, you know. Uh, and some permanent collections. They also have a they also have a vault, which we'll explore later. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. uh, which you and I had talked about in the in the previous episode. But this is uh, no fooling. One of the largest automotive museums in the world. So this is a museum that you could go back to a few months later and reasonably encounter all new vehicles. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like I mean with the the, the rotation of the other vehicles that we'll talk about, you know, there's there's several that are rotated in and out and then they have, you know, other exhibitions that go on at the time. So there's there's like this endless supply of variety that they can throw out there, you know, that they can they can kind of mix and match these things together how they would like and put together collections that either make sense or are very eclectic or, you know, whatever they want. And they also bring in, you know, special exhibitions that are, of course, more focused, you know, that, right. uh, the, you know, but only last for a short amount of time. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to go there, you're able to catch those things. But uh, they do have a lot of, I guess I'll call them resident vehicles that they can bring in and out that, you know, do live in that vault and, and that they do throw on the floor. But I would bet that, you know, I went to the museum, what, four years ago, something like that? Yeah, it was a while so. ago. Yeah. 
And you went just recently, but I would bet that you saw very few of the same vehicles that I saw on the floor. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, let's see. So they had they had Hollywood Dream Machines. That was one of their big ones. And that was the one I actually had the most mixed feelings about. This is this is uh, like like movie cars, right? Right, exactly, okay. exactly. Yeah. So you'll see like some Batmobiles. You'll see some George Barris designs, oh, which I are top-notch. I love that topic. Um and then they had uh, disruptors. They had some motorcycle design. They had a lot of racing, uh, like groundbreaking race cars. There's a Bruce Myers exhibit of these epic race cars. There are 10 of them from 1929 to 1979. Mm-hmm. And it's stunning. We're talking about historically important cars, like the first production Shelby Cobra. From Ooh. 62. Cool. The Greer Black Prudhomme Dragster, mm-hmm. also from 62. Mm-hmm. This one won 237 of the 241 races it ran. Whoa. Uh, under, you know, driven by Don Prudhomme. Mm-hmm. The snake. The, <laughs> yeah. the snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they had a Bonneville racer, the 29 Ford 747. I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at the snake nickname. That's a that's a great nickname to have. That's a great nickname. Come on. It depends on who you are. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I guess so. But if you're, if you're a drag racer, I mean, that's a cool name. If you're a drag right? racer, then you can rationally support being called the snake. I, I guess here in the office, I wouldn't want to be called the snake. Like, the, <laughs> no. like oh, there's Scott. He's the sneaky snake. <laughs> yeah. I think it's different when, you're, when it's your nickname is inserted between a first and last name as if it were a middle name. Yeah. But if you were called snake, like yeah. snake Garen or snake Bolin, that's a good point. That's a little different. That's yeah. a good point. You know, maybe. Like Don the Snake Perdome. Yeah, sure. Different than Snake Perdome. You're yeah. right. It is. Like his parents might have uh, named him Snake. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, you'd always question that. You'd always wonder, unless you ask the man himself. So I have a... And you don't want to ask Snake if that's his real name. You just don't do <laughs> that. Assume. That's right up there with going like, what's, so what's your whole deal? What's, it, yeah. what's your thing about <laughs> Snake? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Chances of him telling you are slim to none. So. I don't know, man. Maybe Snake's a good dude. I, I just, I have, a, I have a thing with nicknames after a certain... I don't want to like. I, I don't want to trample on anyone's right to expression or something. But one time, uh, I was on the road and I was hanging out with a friend who lived in town. This was in Nashville, Tennessee, and met a an acquaintance of his at the local bar and grill, who was well into his forties or fifties and introduced himself as Snakebite. And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna call you Snakebite, man. Snake you're bite. you're like well into adulthood. Wow. If Snake I, bite. If I met a ten year old who was like, you know, my name's Herman, but I go by Snakebite, I would be like, right on, Snakebite, you know? You conquered the world, but I feel like when you're 50, this has nothing to do with anything. Did he look like a snake bite guy to you? I mean, I mean can yeah, we picture yeah. him? Oh, yeah, he looked okay. like he did some time. Okay, yeah, gotcha. that's what you're asking. Oh, there you go. Oh, maybe that's where he got it. Maybe <laughs> got it. That's a the nickname stuck. Name. Yeah, it's a prison <laughs> name. I, I always heard the rule with prison names was that uh, the more innocuous sounding the name, the more careful you should be around the person. Really? Yeah. It's like, like if it's a Brian... <laughs> yeah, like, or if, like if there's like a seven foot two dude named Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like don't don't mess with Smurf. Uh, so I did not get arrested at the Peterson Museum. Well, good for you. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm taking that as a win. I didn't either. 
You did not either. No. Um, now, was this Bruce Meyer exhibit up when you visited? Uh, you're asking a lot of my memory here, but uh, yeah. but no, no, I don't think it was. No. So that was one of the most impressive things, and it's really tempting when you're in one of these museums to get too close, which is why they have the museum minders mm -hmm. there, volunteers and so on. Yeah. And it's strange because I'm the guy who wants to look under the vehicle. I want to look inside to see how the seating works out, especially in some of those land speed record vehicles. Oh, yeah. Like, got to figure out exactly what's going on under the skin of those things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always mm -hmm. fascinating. And that's just one example. We'll get into some other exhibits, but the museum itself has 25 galleries storing well over 100 vehicles in those galleries, and that's only half of the collection, if that, because in the basement, there is a vault. Oh, yeah, the vault. If you pay a little bit extra, or you have some connections, and you're, um, I don't think they let kids in. I think... Yeah, 18 or over. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can go and view the vault collection. And no photographs. And no photographs. Which is another tough thing to adhere to because you'll see some real gems down there. I mean, it, but they'll all eventually make themselves available on the floor. They'll cycle out. Yeah, yeah. they will. But you're going to see some stuff down there that are that really surprising, interesting, you know, maybe even not fully restored yet if they're working on them, you know, that type of thing. I, yeah. I love I love seeing that. That's what, remember, we, we had a conversation a long time, going back to Nashville, I guess, um, the Lane Motor Museum. Yeah, yeah. They're just outside of Nashville. And that's one where you can get right around every, you can get right up to the cars. There's no ropes. Mm -hmm. So as long as you don't touch, you can lean, you can even have, they even have the windows open on something you can lean your head in if you want, as long as you're holding your yourself back so your belt's not scraping anything, you know, or, or right. purse or whatever you carry. But they had a, a basement tour and it was fantastic. It was an extra few bucks to go on the tour. And it was, it was some of the best things that I saw of that day were down in the basement still. And I don't know what the like, what the thought was behind it, why it was so exciting to see them down there like that. And they're parked just like it's in a, a parking structure or even, you know, tighter than that even. You know, so they're very, very close together. And you don't get to see it, you see them from all angles or get, you know, as close as you would. But it's just exciting to see them, dis not even displayed, but to see them parked there like that. Yeah. And I know that th this one, the Peterson, uh, there have been, you know, a lot of people that write, you know, blogs or, you know, they're online authors that write about, you know, their experiences down in the Peterson vault and, you know, what they've seen, what they have encountered. And I think wasn't there, there was like... One of Saddam Hussein's cars, I think, was down there at one point. I believe you're correct. Um, uh, like one of those old, really stately-looking Mercedes vehicles, you know, that you can picture mm -hmm. a dictator in. Yeah. Uh, you know, the really, it's like a Mercedes limo, but it's like the old diesel, you know, flat hood type vehicle, you know, that's really big, but elegant, but also it now looks very, very dated, you know. But you could definitely picture any kind of dictator riding around in this thing <laughs> in the back. But uh, they've got some real treasures down there. It's the 1978 Mercedes-Benz 600. Yeah. It's probably still there, if I had to guess, unless they auction it off or something, you know. And th this is interesting because these cars especially were mostly used by heads of state. Oh, that's cool. They were like the cars of the ruling class. I and, can picture that. Uh, Hussein had his until he was overthrown in 2003. The car is not in perfect condition. No, yes. I would not assume so. 
It has some dents in it because guards would sit around on the trunk <laughs> and their rifle butts would hit the metal. <laughs> Is that right? I know. I probably shouldn't be laughing at this. It's a dictator's car. But, I mean, you can almost visualize this when you see, especially if you see the car or if you know the car that we're talking about. It just has that look. It just has that old-style dictator, this is, you know, the showiest vehicle I could own look, you know, and parade myself through town and, you know, kind of like a show of force, you know. It reminds me a little bit of that scene in one of those Indiana Jones films where the Nazis are trying to bribe, like, a a Middle Eastern ruler, Mm -hmm. and they have gold and treasure, and the guy doesn't care about that because they got him a car. (laughs) Do you remember that part? No, I don't remember this. I got to figure out. I, I have to watch the scene, I guess. Yeah, see what car it was. It was probably like an old diesel Mercedes or something like that. It was a nice one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's just one of the weird vehicles around in the Peterson Museum. One thing that I thought you guys would really enjoy is the 1927 Pedroso. Do you know about this? I do not. So no. enlighten us. So here's the story. Back in the 20s, there's this obscenely wealthy Spanish guy, the Marquis de Pedroso, and he's living in France, and he decides he's going to build his own sports car. Yeah. So he designs, (laughs) and he actually does this, he designs a supercharged straight eight, and he implements some pretty forward-thinking innovations, and uh, he gets so excited, again, according to the story, uh, that when he saw the car, when he was getting close to building it and he had a running engine, yeah. he just took two wicker seats from his porch <laughs> and put them on <laughs> and took off. There are only two that were ever built. The only one that survived is at the Peterson Museum. He built. I'm surprised there were two built. You know, you'd think it would be just the one, really. Yeah. I know. Was it, like a, was it like just a rich man's folly? Well, that's you know? crazy. So just wicker seats from the front porch. That's how Later they got covered with canvas. Okay, all right. When he regained possession of his yeah, wits. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, when Peterson Museum got them, they also received full blueprints of the design. So theoretically, you could build another Pedroso today if you wanted. Well, I don't think I want to. Okay, well. But maybe, maybe. I mean, I haven't seen the car, so maybe uh, maybe I'll check it. Well, don't overcommit yet because there are <laughs> a lot of cars. We, we've got some stuff you to know, walk through. You know, it's not so unusual. I guess I guess wicker for a, a material isn't all that unusual. We've seen Back that in the on, day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of lightweight. It was, it was durable. I mean, relatively durable, I should say. But, I mean, just the idea, I guess, of throwing the ones from the porch on into the car, that's strange. I mean, that's yeah, that's a cool detail. They're not, they're not necessarily secured all that well, I would believe. Probably strapped down, you know, leather straps or whatever. Yeah. If that. But the thing that's <laughs> different about the, the thing that's different with wicker specifically is that wicker was used in automotive construction when there were many, like, custom coach builders. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, We've yeah. talked about that before. Like, the same people who build the furniture are like, all right, yeah, just bring the chassis of the car over. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, and we see it on, on even the exterior of vehicles, you know, with laid over with lacquer and things yeah. like that for yeah, design yeah. elements. Uh, some beautiful, beautiful designs come out of that era that, you know, have uh, it's just stuff you never would see, you know, at this point in time. You'd, you'd never see anybody using wicker right now to build, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if there is somebody out there... My apologies, but I haven't seen many wicker uh, exteriors on vehicles recently. Have you? I have not. <laughs> I, not on yeah. new vehicles. No, I wouldn't say Not so. on new vehicles. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury 
with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Uh, you know, there is another vehicle I didn't see. I have to say, uh, this is classic vitamin G right here. Uh, Peterson Auto Museum is home to an official Pope Mobile. Oh, we did an episode oh. on the Pope Mobile. Yeah. Yeah. We're not... The Vatican technically doesn't like us to call them Pope Mobiles. Yeah, I'm calling the Pope Mobile. I mean, I think that's how everybody knows it. Yeah, just like uh, for any Star Wars fans, the name of that tiny Yoda in the Mandalorian is not Baby Yoda, but everybody calls it Baby Yoda. Of course, yeah. So this is what do they want us to call it, like papal transport. I think so. Vehicle or, or something like that. Yeah, something way less. The cool. PTV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this Pope Mobile is a 1998 Cadillac. And this is one of the only examples of one that, uh, of a Pope mobile that was open top constructed on a modern chassis. GM Mexico built it for John Paul II. 
just to use on his trip to give a speech at a stadium in Mexico City. Does this have the glass box on it? This does not. And good thing to mention, Scott, because he never actually rode in the Cadillac. There were security concerns about that open design. However, as the manufacturers are quick to point out, the Pope did bless the car on, on the visit. So it's it, it's got his cosign. Really? Yeah. And it has huh. that seat mechanism that we talked about in earlier Pope mobiles. Yeah. You know, where, uh, so <laughs> on several Pope mobiles, the, the papal seat, where the actual Pope sits, is on this hydraulic system that can raise or lower the seat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really neat. I like that. And that's the ones that have that bulletproof shielding yeah. do that, too. Oh, that is cool. That's a, that's a cool feature. I think that's, a, that's interesting to be able to raise and lower yourself into, into that box, into that glass box. See, this is, yeah, this is where the dictators need to uh, be humble yeah. because no matter how powerful you are as a dictator, I don't think there are people who are building specific cars for you to take a field trip. You know, you know I was starting to laugh when you were describing this, when you said that the Pope blessed this vehicle. I, I got this this picture in my head of like George Costanza in Seinfeld, <laughs> like buying a car that had claimed to have been blessed by the Pope or something. Because you know, yeah. remember he had, uh, it was a John Voight's car, right? Right. But right. it wasn't the actor John Voight. Remember it was like that whole thing. Remember <laughs> he bought a car that was, <laughs> all right, I have to, I feel like it's one of those moments where I, I have to say this because I, sure. I know I have many, many years ago. There used to be a chairman of, of Chrysler named Bob Eaton. And it was back at the time when uh, my wife and I, at the time, we worked for a company that was like a supplier to Chrysler. It was a television station. And it was like their internal television station. And at the time, we bought a Jeep Cherokee that was owned by a guy named Bob Eaton, but it wasn't the Bob Eaton. So anybody later that didn't know, like past us, you know, past the ownership of us, if they were to trace back the ownership of that vehicle, they might be confused to think that was Bob Eaton's Jeep. Which I thought was kind of funny because like, <laughs> somewhere down the line that's going to get confused. Yeah, if it's still weird. around, it was like a you know ninety nine Cherokee. It was a red one. If anybody out there knows of this one, watch out for that uh, that fake on the <laughs> on the auction block. You know if it happens, <laughs> but uh, but it was not the Bob Eaton. But I, I always got kind of a chuckle out of that, thinking it was like it was like uh, Costanza's uh, John Voight car. <laughs> Is there? I mean, okay, I'm totally unaware of this. Uh, I don't know the answer here, but. Is it legal for a private citizen to own a Pope mobile? I guess it is. It has to yeah. be. Right? Yeah, sure. Why not? There's no law against it. Didn't okay. One one of the popes recently owned, a, or it still does, maybe owned a Harley Davidson. Even he was like, a, he's a like, he's a biker. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he's got a, a great big Harley Davidson. I, I don't know if he still owns it or if it's. Uh, and I, I don't remember which pope it was. I don't remember. I, I just don't have the knowledge. It's like a pope cycle. Yeah, yeah, and I'll have to, I'll have to dig into that too. Hey, you know what? One other quick thing. Yeah. Well, we're talking about the vault, or the vault rather. Yeah. The vault. <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> not that one. Um, I remember that we had talked about a car called the Dale a long time ago. It was the big hoax car. Remember? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the whole story, the twisted tale of the we Dale. We can't even give away too much. No. Uh, I think that's that's a saga, though. Check that. Out. That's one of our. That's one of the most fascinating episodes we've done. I I loved that episode of of car. Or the, those episodes, I should say, of cars. Sure. It was so much fun to research that. It was, yeah. it was just a blast. Very but, strange uh, story. They at the Peterson, they own one of the Dale cars. So it's probably if if you were able to get down there in the vault, I'm sure that it was down there somewhere. If it, I'm sure, you know, it's one of those cars that I doubt they will ever let go of. No, I don't think that they would. 
well, it's certain that no one's going to drive it off. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one thing that we do know. Yeah, that it will it will it will never make its way under the on uh, under LA freeways. Yeah, not under its own power. No, God, no, not what uh, a weird story. Won't be involved with one of the uh, high speed chases that we see from the helicopters. You know, it's not going to happen. There's another really wild car there too. Uh, the 1923 Mathon V16 T bucket. This engine is insane. The the V16. I did not miss. <laughs> speak was built in the early 1990s even Mm. though the cars from the 20s they took two chevy 350 v8s and joined them together at the crankshaft there were only two of these engines ever built and only one was ever installed in a car Uh, and the eggheads at peterson say based on what they know about it it probably produces 550 horsepower 550 pound foot of torque Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm It's it's a monster, and of course, as you can imagine, that chassis is pretty stretched. What year was this? Nineteen ninety somewhere around uh, there. Nineteen ninety is when they customized the engine. The Ford T bucket was built in twenty three. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so it's on that body. But you know, um, what's funny? Here, th- I find this a little bit funny. Mm. So they they're here. They are. They're Frankensteining together a couple of three fifty V eights, right? And uh, and it's that's cool. It's a cool thing to do. It's a neat, you know. The neat-looking vehicle, I'm sure. It, it has a, a certain appearance that's really interesting and, and unique. But think about this. Like, that was 550 horsepower, and that's a pile of horsepower back then. I mean, it right. really was. And think about, like, the, the pro- first production Viper was somewhere around 400 horsepower. But it seems like a lot of sedans now are around 400 horsepower, mm. <laughs> you know, or, or <laughs> right. close to it, or, you know, 350 or whatever. And, you know, you got some of these, uh, um, I guess, a lot of other performance um, you know, lines of cars, you know, like maybe BMWs or, or Lexus or whoever, you know, the, a lot of their, their top-end vehicles are in the 500-some horsepower sure. range right now for production vehicles. So it's it's funny that, you know, they're doing that. Um, back then, they just, the idea was just go bigger with everything, right? I mean, and sure, what, a yeah. cool, what a cool design, though, to throw it on an old Model T, though. And you know what? I think, and unless I'm giving something away here, Ben, there's yeah. another Model T that we want to talk about, right? That mongrel T. Let's get to it. You want to? Because yeah. this is one of the ones that you brought up in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. And almost with disbelief, we, we looked it up because we couldn't, I, I can't picture ever seeing this car before, but you had, uh, you, you've seen it. So one of the exhibits, one of the rotating exhibits at the Peterson Museum, the time I visited, was that Hollywood Dream Machine exhibit. These are vehicles from science fiction and fantasy. As you said, Scott, movie cars. They've got a DeLorean up there. They've got some stuff from Blade Runner. They've got two vehicles from Mad Max Fury Road, yeah, which we did an episode on, and they were fascinating to see up close. They're yeah. very dirty. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and one of the things that was really the star of the show for me uh, were all these Barris-designed Batmobiles, like yeah. Barris designed, I should say Bat vehicles, because there's a Bat cycle there as well. I guess they decided to go with the Bat cycle instead of the Pope uh, cycle. Uh, can I stop you for yeah, one second? Please. Of course, well, I keep interrupting, but no, please. these cars are so cool. The Bat cycle, there's that detachable go-kart in the passenger side, like in the, uh, um, uh, what do you call that, the uh, the sidecar. Side there's yeah. a sidecar that Robin would ride in that had a detachable go-kart that would launch out of the side. That is so cool. And that thing, I think I sent you guys pictures of it. Yeah. That thing, what surprised me is that little go-kart thing is so small that I've, I haven't i have seen a bunch of the classic Batman episodes, the yeah. Adam West era. Uh-huh. 
But I feel like that's, even for such a campy show, that was probably too ridiculous for him to really use it too often. Because you would have to, the best way to describe how you would have to ride that thing is to crouch on your feet and do what they call like the Slavic squat, you know, the Slav (laughs) squat. And then then take your hands and put them flat on the ground in front of your feet. And that's about your footprint on that... On that go kart, but I will tell you, the guy that played Robin, his name is Burt Ward, right? And he was not necessarily tall. He's not. He's about five foot eight. Okay, so he's a smaller guy. But I mean, when you look at him in those old Batman episodes, he's also very thin build. So he's not a very large person. They probably built it knowing that he would be able to do it. I don't think that I could fit on this thing. I don't. I'm not much taller than him, but I'm. I'm heftier. I'm a bigger person than than Burt Ward was when he was in the Batman movies. I'm not slim like that, but maybe it was built knowing that he'd be able to to accomplish this too. But yeah, you're right. It's it's nearly an impossible thing to get on. I've I've seen promotional photos of him in that position that you're talking about, like on the cart, ready to go. I don't remember seeing an episode where he actually used it though. I saw a still photograph of him on it yeah. at the exhibit. I think it's probably something that, you know, the the movie production company or the movie house sent out as promotional material. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Before we bury the lead, here's why we're talking about oh, this in general. Yeah. Sorry, I, I again, I, I took us on the wrong path. No, no, no. This is perfect because we're still in the world of Batman. And I did not know this. I'm sure many of our Batman fans in the audience yeah, already... the Bat fans. The Bat fans, mm-hmm. right? Sure, they already. I'm sure you all already have heard of this, but apparently the Joker had an official vehicle of his own. The Joker's answer to the Batmobile, the and Catwoman had her own Catmobile. Uh-huh. The Joker mobile makes no sense mm. for the Joker to have. No, it really doesn't. It's an it's an unusual vehicle for sure. It's not on brand. It has it's this mongrel T, heavily customized. Um, we're talking like the seat backs are surfboards. Uh, yeah. It's a hot rod Model T that was built in 1966. Yeah. And it's so strange. It looks more like something that would be... In a in, Beach Boys film. Well, you know, the, and there's a good reason for that, right? I mean, we, we did then look up the history of this car because we were curious about what happened. And I guess apparently, um, you can jump in here anytime, Ben, but Paramount Pictures... In 1966, I got a call looking for a vehicle to go into an Elvis Presley movie. And if you remember, Elvis Presley was doing a lot of, uh, like, Hawaiian, you know, beach-type movies and, you know, a lot of movies at the time. But one of the movies was called Easy Come, Easy Go. And it's like a a musical comedy-type thing, and there's lots of, you know on-the-beach-type activity going on, you know, surfing, that type of thing. Uh, but when that was done, and, of course, you know, they designed, like, what would be, like, a beach car for the 1960s. I think everybody can picture that, you know, the uh, the outlandish colors, you know, the, the bright reds, greens, yellows, blues, that kind of thing. Um, the seats, the seat backs are surfboards that have been, you know, chopped, modified in a, way, in a way that makes sense for a seat back, and they look like surfboards sticking out of the car. It looks like four surfboards. It's, of course, an open vehicle, yeah. Model, Model T, I think everybody can picture the, the hot rod version of that. Um, you know, the big engine up front and, you know, open at the top and, you know, big fenders and everything and the, the fat wheels all around. I guess not too fat, not like the big dragster type ones. But just a cool looking beach buggy that you would anticipate, you know, being from that era with the beach cars. Well, I guess they just repurposed this thing. As yeah. as the as the Joker mobile for the Batman TV series, which 
is really strange to me. Like, why why would Barris, Barris of all people, he was building so many cars, and, and like you said, Ben, this is way off brand. It doesn't seem to fit the Joker for me. I mean, I, I don't know why, but it just doesn't have the right feel to it, does it? Far be it for me to criticize someone's artistic choice, but it just doesn't it doesn't feel like a Joker mobile. I think Kurt, you said it best off air. What were you, what were you describing it as? The fur. Oh, the fur the- <laughs> around the doors looks like the Grinch's fur. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's all kind of matted down and dirty. And I know that that's greenish. A lot of, you know, it's time, right? I think yeah. it's just time that does that because. I've seen shag carpet that, you know, gets into the same condition after a long time, you know, on old custom <laughs> vans and things. But uh, this is just like, it's kind of dirty and kind of gross looking right now. But it, it, to give it, you know, credit, I guess it's in the, the basement of a, a museum. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't know. There's a lot of tiki design to it. I mean, a lot of, you know, real intricate design on the door panels and... Uh, it's creative. It, it, it's got a lot going for it. It's It's definitely... Dirty, yeah, it's creative. It's definitely dirty, and I've seen I've seen the the car. There's a um, a link to a video where it's you know a little bit cleaned up. It's a little bit polished up, and that's probably the way you saw it, Ben. Yeah, some of these photos are a little bit rougher, maybe the way it came into the the uh, the shop. So it does look a lot better, but I don't know. As far as being a like a car for the Joker, a, a good villain vehicle, I don't know if it's a villain's vehicle. has has a happier feel to it, you know? Yeah, it. Uh, well, the Joker's I, I, supposed to have that like dichotomy right especially character the classic joker in the adam west batman yeah is worlds away from like the heath ledger joker oh yeah or the one that we just saw recently the uh, wasn't the backstory uh for the joker oh yeah 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 yeah. i guess that's pretty dark as well yeah how he actually became that person and uh it's just yeah you're right it's it's a completely different character altogether Mm -hmm. so yeah maybe but it's still, I mean, it just doesn't fit that character very well. It's a, it's an oddball piece of the collection. I mean, there's a there's a lot of those though. Um, you had mentioned other movie cars, yeah, DeLorean, uh, Blade Runner. Uh, there was, I, I have to be honest. So that was the only exhibit where I had some, I would say, mixed feelings because there's nothing wrong with the vehicles per se, but you know, you get up close and you know, especially with uh, sci-fi vehicles. You, you can see, like, a hovercraft, a glider of some sort. We know that that technology doesn't exist in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. I accept that. We're there to see the design. But then when you get closer and closer, things start to break down. You go, oh, that's, that is plywood. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so you could tell that uh, some are meant to be filmed from far away. Right. Others are meant for close-ups, and those are the refined very carefully put together, you know, well done ones. That's where, you know, they, they got the close-ups and the, and the, you know, maybe the person's inside and they're doing, you know, like driving shots or whatever. Yeah. But it, uh, from a distance, these cars don't have to be all that, you know, they just have to have the same general shape. You're going to have somebody different driving them, a, a stunt driver or whoever, right? Right. So that doesn't necessarily matter. I think one of the, uh, the best examples I've ever seen, but not in person, were some of the um, uh, the Hardcastle McCormick cars, the Coyote Remember the the cool mm. coyote kit car that they had in that uh, uh, um, McCormick, the, uh, uh, the the convict in this whole thing. It's a it's a very improbable setup for the whole the whole. That's one I haven't thought about. Drama. In a while. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it's a great. Uh, I used to love to watch that show just for that mm-hmm. car, just for the coyote because it was yeah. so cool. And they had a few that were really well put together, and then they had some that were just piles of garbage. I mean, they were just like. <laughs> 
They, they were fiberglass shells, and they were on top of like a really rough frame. And but they drove, they run and they ran and drove. But those are the ones they would, you know, jump over hay bales. Yeah. And you know they weren't so careful with it because they didn't. They knew that they could build another one quickly. But if you look at you know some of the stills from the actual film itself or, or the uh, television show, you're able to tell you know like okay this one's really really rough. You can see the, uh, you know, the, the intensity with which they focused on details in some cars versus others that are a little bit more, like, put together a bit more sloppily, you know. Right. The, or they're rougher around the edges. So you were there at the museum, and you're seeing things like, you know, tack welds, and you really saw plywood on a car? Like, you're seeing, yeah. like, it's not metal, it's painted wood. and Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what about any other, like, really egregious things that you saw? Like, any uh, other cars that were standouts for, like... You know, this is this. I can't even believe this is in here in this museum, but it's part of movie history, right? Yeah, I just want to keep it. I, I want to keep it positive. Oh, you know? okay. Like I, I, it, if anything, to put a positive spin on it, uh, it just shows the craftsmanship and the ingenuity of the people involved in the production. Because sure. until you get up close to something like a. Until you get up close to some of these vehicles, and I'm not going to name specific ones, but until you get up close to some of these vehicles, you know, when you see them on the screen, it looks real, mm-hmm. you know. Um, My car's kind of like that now. Yeah? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> no, nothing terrible. It's just, uh, you know, from a distance, it looks pretty good still. Do you vacuum it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, like it's just getting older, and there's uh, some dents and dings and things from being in, par- in a parking lot. You know, and you from your door from your security and... sitting on the trunk with their rifle butts. Yeah, with the rifle butts. Yeah, that uh, that always causes a lot of uh, scuffs and dents and things. But no, just you know, the the normal like minor flaws that come along with owning a vehicle for a certain amount of time, and and you know, you're less pleased with it close up as as you are than you know, it becomes like a twenty foot car. You know, you're happier with it from 20 feet away than you are up close when you're polishing the car and you you notice all the flaws and, and the minor imperfections that are there. But I think a lot of these museum cars are like that, too. But there, there are also many of them here that are pristine. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful examples. And maybe I'm, I, I don't know if I'm going to lead you to something that wasn't there at this time. Sure. There were four or five years ago. On the ground floor, they had a display when I was there of French manufactured cars or, or built cars, Bugatti, mm. the, the Talbot, I think, was another one that they had. But they're beautiful, beautiful flowing designs that were painted just like, they looked like they had 20 or 30 coats of paint on them and chrome that was in real decorative, um, organic flowing, you know, curves and everything. It was just yeah. beautiful cars. But that was also when that controversy was have, it was going on that, you know, they were going to get rid of kind of the American culture, the uh, the, the South in particular, the South, um, South Southern California car culture type vehicles and change the whole thing over to like these French designs because of the, uh, the new owners of the place. And uh, there was a lot of like back and forth talk about what they were doing because they were selling some cars off, I think, at the time. Right. People were worried that they were going to completely convert over to a different type of museum that it was never intended to be. Like where where does the line stop, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they had that history of being kind of like a, a a microcosm of Southern California car culture, you know, through the decades. Like everything from the very beginning of the automobile all the way through current day. Yeah, well, they've definitely expanded their collection, you know. And one of the things that's really impressive, um, and and you can see these if you go during the right time, would be all the 
all the concept cars they have, you know, like they have a Plymouth Explorer that was built by Gia. Hmm. And uh, it was... Plymouth Explorer. Yeah, it was 1954. Hmm. This was just a design study for, like, how would a Plymouth look if this manufacturer built it? Yeah. And, oh, I like stuff like that. Yeah, and it's really stylish. What year was that? 1954? 1954. That's interesting. I'm going to have to look that up and see what that was all about, but... Um, so they have more than they have other concept vehicles there, of course. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I find like just the uh, the eclectic nature of what they have there to be fascinating too. It's like they they didn't focus on just one type of vehicle or one. Um, you know, not it's not not that there's a, a bad thing about this, but when you go to certain museums that have a focus, like it's like the hot rod, it's a hot rod museum, or it's sure. a uh, drag racing museum that I went to recently. Like it's all drag racing cars. They they've got a separate building that has you know their, the collection of the owner. You know, that that mm-hmm. has other stuff, but like one building is strictly just for this type of vehicle. I find it fascinating that they, they have so many different cars that they can rotate in and out. Like, um, you know, they have all these different uh, exhibits that they can, again, bring in and out. They're like the, um, uh, they have a Porsche collection, you know, right. that I guess is, is pretty exemplary as well. They have, you know, like extensive, as they say, uh, everything from, you know, a 1939 Porsche 64 all the way up through, you know, modern day Porsche as well. They have Japanese automotive uh, industry vehicles there on display, like you right. know, a, a, a huge history of the Japanese automotive industry. So, like everything from the beginning to the end of that as well. They have children's race cars that are powered that they can bring out, which I think is oh, that's a fascinating thing. I'd love to see that that display. <laughs> I didn't see. I don't think I remember seeing any of those, but the the powered children's race cars would be a really cool thing because I'm a big go kart fan anyway. I like that right. Kind of thing. Um, they have, you know, the Lightning McQueen car from, you know, Pixar, yeah. Disney, Disney cars, yep, yep. you know. Um, oh, I got a Lightning McQueen shirt on today. Oh, you fact. do? Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> you just did kind of like a, a, a sort of a Superman A move. little Superman movie. Yeah I, yeah, I just realized that I had that shirt on today. Gosh, what else they have? They have the NASCAR Herbie there, yeah. which is kind of a, a unique vehicle. The 1992 Batmobile, of course, that you talked about. They've got, oh, uh Elvis Presley's Pantera is somewhere yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I know that that car, gosh, that's another one that we just talked about recently. You know how Elvis Presley, like he was, he had a lot of cars, a big collection of cars. And the Pantera is one that sometimes will make the rounds, you know, they'll, it'll travel. And, you know, with like cars of the rock stars or whatever, you know, and mm-hmm. I know that it went to the Henry Ford at some point. And uh, you can go see, you know, that there's a bullet hole in the in the steering wheel from where he shot, the king shot the car, apparently when it wouldn't start. And I think <laughs> the story is that <laughs> after he shot it, the thing started up. Like, it worked. Like, he threatened it into operating. Oh, right? That's the worst it's, it's crazy. thing that could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's a stra- there's a whole story behind uh, the, the Pantera and, Elv- and uh, Elvis Presley. But um, Oh, and you talked about the uh, DeLorean time machine. That's one that I think everybody can picture. There's, there's all kinds of movie cars and uh, cars that were owned by famous people. I know I saw, um, when I was there, there was uh, Fatty Arbuckle's car. He's a, he's a big car guy. Um, yeah. A big car guy. He was a, he was oh. a big, he's a big everything guy. He was, he's a big fella. Thus the nickname, Fatty Arbuckle. But he, uh, he had cars that were built by Harley Earl. He went to Harley Earl wow. and had three cars made specifically for him by Harley Earl. They were designed and built for him by him. I guess that predates, you know, the days when, uh, he worked for GM, of course, and, you know, was full-time on the GM design staff. But her, uh, one other thing about um, Fatty Arbuckle, he was, he was like, a, like I said, he was a big car guy at the time and really loved automobiles. He was one of the first 
celebrities, one of the first stars to be able to do this because he was also the first movie star that would make uh, was was making on contract over a million dollars a year. He's the very first actor to be able to do that. Wow! So uh, that's kind of his notch in history. I mean, other than having some you know some good films, of course, but um, <laughs> apparently a good actor, Mr. Arbuckle. Fatty. Uh, had some skeletons in his closet. You yeah, know about that, he right? did. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to avoid it, but yeah, he uh, he. Um, I don't want to get into that yeah, discussion yeah, right now. But yeah, uh, yeah, he's got a, a whole history there as well. But yeah, some definite skeletons in that closet. While we're on the subject of things that are, are turning a bit dark, there's also the 1967 Boot Hill Express hot rod. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I've seen this one. I, I did get to see this you one. You saw this one? I did, yeah. This yeah. is nuts. So Ray Farmer uh, built built the Boot Hill Express. They took a funeral coach from the 1800s and they made it a hot rod. Yeah. Now, you know what? Kurt and I had talked about this on an earlier episode when we did uh, the the seventies uh, or sixties and seventies hot rod ca- mm-hmm. uh, cars. We, yeah. um, it was an actual funeral coach. It's it said now. It's it said wasn't it said to have taken one of the James gang members? Yeah. I think to uh, his final resting place at Boot Hill Graveyard. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, is that? Do you think that's true, or do you think that's uh, that's a myth? It's tough to verify. A lot of this is like tall tale territory, you know. And I, I wonder, but and hot rods all have the these stories about them. You I, know what I, I mean? like that, though. I, I like, like that there's too. a mystery, and I like that, you know, that, that people can kind of dig into it if they want to and trace it back. That's always fun. Well, I know it sounds like we're maybe jumping around a little bit. We're doing that because we want to give you kind of a, we give you a broad view of just how many different unique vehicles there are. In fact, I am probably going to return when I go back to that area of the world because they have some upcoming exhibits that I want to see. Uh, I was thinking about this after we did our famous car collectors episode. I think Scott mentioned James Hetfield of Metallica, right? Yeah, that's right. So the James Hetfield collection is coming to the uh, Peterson Museum. He has an entire collection that he's exhibiting in the museum, and it started the opening day is today as we record this. Oh, no kidding. I'd love to go see hmm. that because he's got, he, I think he was a collector of hot rods, right? Right. Vintage yeah. hot rods and some some really old class. I mean, we're talking 1930s iron, that type of era vehicle, that vintage era. I think it, oh no, I think it's a one day thing. Oh boy. Well, you know what? That's too bad. Well, gosh, if you're listening to this episode live, which I know you're not, <laughs> uh, otherwise, otherwise I uh, just missed out on the, in the Hetfield collection, but I'm sure there's plenty of other collections uh, to go to and, and check out. That's that's the one thing too. I mean, you go to their uh, their website. They've always got you up to date on what's coming in, what's what's leaving. You know the dates of the shows and everything. So if you're in the area of uh, you know the Peterson, definitely worthwhile. It's not really that expensive to go. It's it's relatively uh, a cheap afternoon. Um, but man, there's there's so many beautiful beautiful vehicles there. It it really is a different type of museum altogether. Yeah, uh, highly recommended. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start saying one museum is better than another, since I feel like I'll be on the road for a lot of these. Yeah, but it is very different from the Nagoya Museum. And if you go to the Peterson Museum, be aware that, like the Natural History Museums or the Smithsonian's, this is at the very least a full day visit. Don't go in at like. Four thirty, thinking you're going to run through it. No, no, no. This is a, this is a, a long afternoon or a full day, and Absolutely. maybe even like you said, you can go back and check it out. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Now, it's funny that you say Natural History Museum, because that's where this whole thing started, really. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but I just want to mention it, because I think it's there's one thing in here that's really interesting, I think, out of this whole thing. I mean, maybe you can take pieces of this, and you know, that's the most interesting thing to you, but the purchase price of the, of the building was one of the most interesting things to me out of this whole thing. Yeah. So the building itself, I think it was like, I want to say it was the 1960s. It was opened in 1962 as a branch of a, uh, a department store, I believe, right? Cebu. Yes, Cebu. It was a department store back then. And then another another department store bought it from around, what was it, 1965? And they owned it until 1986. And I think it was called Orbox. So it was an Orbox department store then after that point. So from 65 to 86. And then after that, I mean, after, I guess, um, 
it, Peterson bought the, the Peterson, who, by the way, I mean, we, we didn't even say this. Peterson we, oh, is yeah. a, a publishing magazine. He's, he's the guy that was in charge of um, magazines like Hot Rod and Motor Trend and, and Motorcyclist. And he also had some other stuff like Tiger Beat and Teen Magazine and um, Sassy Magazine. He, had a, he has a really compelling story, uh, just real briefly on him. If we can do his background, is that all right? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Sure. And then I'll get back to the building. Okay, so Robert Peterson uh, was born in 1926, and he was a bootstraps guy. His father was a truck mechanic, which gave him that lifelong love of cars. He's a veteran. He served in the Army Air Corps, and he went to work as a publicist at MGM, and he got laid off, which launched him into his creating his own business with some other people who got laid off at MGM. And that set him on the path to becoming the publisher of all these profoundly influential auto magazines. And it also gave him, frankly, the scratch he needed to create his own car collection and then to create this automotive museum. So in a weird way, Thanks for being jerks, MGM. <laughs> yeah, and what's the old saying? I mean, every door that closes uh, gets the worm or something like that, right? That's, the, that's it, right? I learned, uh, I learned the word for, oh, man, I thought of you guys for the blending of idioms or cliches. Oh, this is, oh, this is my, uh, my problem, right? This is my diagnosis. I think it's your gift. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's called a malaphore. A malaphore. Okay. So, like, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Oh, okay. Or, uh... That makes perfect sense. It's not <laughs> rocket surgery. <laughs> well, when you say them, they're ridiculous. That's that's crazy. But to me, they make perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> you've opened this can of worms, now lie in it. <laughs> These are great. You know who did this? Uh, and now I remember, um, it was in Back to the Future. It was, uh, it was... Biff. Uh, was it Biff? Yeah. yeah. You're right, Kurt. It was Biff. Biff was always mixing up those sayings, and it was so funny... But I do that myself now. Like I can't, I can't get them straight. I don't think it's a bit either, dude. I, I believe you. I cannot get those straight. I mean, there's some that I can that I can I get, but others I just can't remember. And like it's, it's funny because like I've already started saying it, and then I just have to finish it with whatever I can think of at the moment. You know, I could, I know how to use it. I just can't get the right words out. You always nail the beginning. Yeah. The, well, the, yeah. I mean, it's used in the right <laughs> context. <laughs> but then it's not, it's the closing part that I have. They had the wrap up, you know. I can't, the, the punchline. There have been so many, man, that I sometimes I can't remember whether you actually said one or whether I thought of something that sounded like it, it would be like a Scott Benjamin style <laughs> observation. Yeah. There's stuff like, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but there are two in the bush. <laughs> stuff like that, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all that's strange. Malifor. Yeah. Malifor. Okay, very good. Very good. So he, yeah. anyway, so Peterson. He's, yes, Peterson. He's, he's moved on from his job. Yeah, he's laid off or whatever. And, he, and now he's uh, suddenly thrust into the world of publishing or he wants to be a publisher, right? Right, okay. right. And, and that's then, where he made his fortune. And that's why we have to, uh, in a weird way, thank MGM. And now that we know Peterson, back to the building. We, we uh, oh, kind of yeah. did this episode backwards, didn't we? I guess so. You know, maybe it was, uh, um, well, who's the actor? Uh, Tarantino. Like, so, oh, yeah, like to yeah, piece yeah. things together like this, right? Maybe that's a, maybe we should give him a, a co-credit on this. Maybe this will be our first non-linear podcast. Actually, it probably wouldn't be. But, <laughs> no, uh, we we do this all the time. We talk about it crap. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Kurt, are you going to edit this in so we start 
Like immediate rest. <laughs> no, this makes sense. Really? Yeah. No, oh man, I, you're I, too kind. I don't know about that. We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask <laughs> listeners if any of this makes sense. Oh gosh. All right. So uh, back I, to the I, building. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. Also, um, okay. on a serious note, if there are any complaints, we do want to hear from you. The good stuff as well as the bad stuff. So we're grateful whenever you take the time to contact us. Uh, we have a special email. For any complaints, you can write directly to our complaint department, which is Jonathan Strickland at iHeartRadio.com. 24-7, yeah. 365 days a week, yep. days a year. I mean, <laughs> so <laughs> he's going to kill us. You can be as mean as you want. Yeah, please. Please <laughs> let it rip. Just let us have it. Yeah, let us have unvarnished it. truth. Again, only to that email address. <laughs> Uh, feel free to send multiple times if you're worried it didn't come through. I love this part of the show. Me too. All right. Oh, uh, okay. This building. Though. Back to the building. Okay. So we're in 1986, and uh, I guess uh, six years later, Robert Peterson decides that he is going to. Uh, he's looking for property for a museum for his interest in, in automobiles. He's got all his money, right? He decides that he's going to open a museum, and he's trying to find an ideal space, and he decides that this is a great building for it, this uh, this department store, because it has very few windows. The place doesn't have, it's not like completely open like a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other buildings downtown were and decided that this would be a great place to have, you know, artifacts, you know, like without any kind of direct exposure to sunlight. So, you know, like it doesn't have to worry about sun fade on, you know, whether it's automobiles, interiors or, or paintings or whatever he happens to put up in there and decides that he's going to buy this building. And he buys the building in 1992 for an odd sum. This is, this is what I find interesting about this whole thing. I mean, there's a lot interesting, but this number, he buys it in 1992 for, it's all ones, completely ones, $11,111,111.11. So all ones, all the way across. It's a very easy number to remember, but uh, he buys that and buys the building in 1992 from that department store or, or box. And in 1994, he opens up the museum, the, the first iteration of the Peterson Museum, and a much different version than you and I have seen. It was it was uh, it was still nice. It was just uh, different. And uh, yeah. the renovation that they went through recently, they went through in 2015 and did this uh, this 125 million dollar renovation. Where, as we said, you know they they've done not only the inside inside the museum, but they've also done the outside of the museum, where it's this kind of. And here's a better way to describe it. I found it finally. Um, a stainless steel ribbon assembly that's made of 100 tons of 14-gauge type 304 steel in 308 sections, and uh, it has something like 140,000 custom stainless steel screws that keep the thing in place. It's really a it's an interesting-looking building. It stands out in in downtown LA, of course, and uh, it's just it's it's. I mean, inside and out, this is a, a unique experience, really. It's, 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 the building itself has got its own history. The, the materials inside, the, the person who owns it, or who owned it, I should say, he has passed on. He uh, passed away, I believe, in 2007, wasn't it? I think that's when Peterson, yeah, uh, 2007, yeah. he was age 80 uh, when he died. But, of course, the place is still operating and doing well, as you, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a great place to go, and as you've mentioned, Spend more than a day there if you can, or a day. Yeah, you know it's tough to spend more than a day, but if you can spend a day there, I'd say you're getting your your money's worth out of the museum for sure. And, and the museum itself is uh, is a celebrity in its own right. Yeah, uh, it has its own history as a building, as you mentioned. Adam Carolla held his tenth anniversary celebration for his podcast there, 
So maybe we can do a live podcast at the Peterson Museum one day. It is involved in the death of the notorious B.I.G. Yeah. Right. That was the last place he was seen alive, right? Right. And the building's featured in a couple of films, Miracle Mile, Volcano, mm-hmm. Who Killed the Electric Car. Sure. Uh, so so check it oh, out. Oh, yeah. Who Killed the Electric Car. That's what the EV was there, right? It was in yeah. the museum. What was it? There was a strange story. Someone who owned a oh, GME V1 goes to visit their their car. Yeah, that's right, because they had to return the vehicles, right? right? They had to give them back to GM, and the one that that person in particular owned or rented uh, was on display at the Peterson Museum. That's still the, the EV1 story for another day, but yeah. that's still yeah. so strange. It is. But let us know what exhibits you saw at the Peterson Museum, because odds are uh, the average person has not seen all of the exhibits, nor probably all of the vehicles. No, unless you work there, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have been you know privy to see every single mm-hmm. one of them or know you know exactly what's coming up when. So yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be a, it'd be a fascinating place to work, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely, really dream cool. job. I yeah, mean, yeah. our gig's okay, but dream job would be working at a at an auto museum, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. You know what? I waffle on this a little bit because I think it'd be really cool to work in a museum, an automob- automobile museum. It'd be fun to be surrounded by that. But I mean, after about a day or two, I don't know. Unless you're really taking deep dives into the history of a certain car and you really focus on that and then move on to the next one, I think that it would just become a bit repetitive for me. See, this is why you want to get the perfect job, which is either the test driver or the restorer. Oh, yeah. If you're a mechanic there, that'd be great. Yeah. That would be fun. But test driver, that's an interesting idea, too. If you were able to, like, actually, you know, take them out and motor them around a little bit, stretch their legs, that'd be fun. I think you have to earn that, though. Uh, I don't think they let you. I I don't think, like, on the website they have, you know, cashier, uh, cafe position, test driver. Yeah. You know, some of the docents at uh, the Lane Museum, the one that I mentioned earlier, yeah. I know that I was talking to one of them for a long time and just kind of our paths crossed many times, you know, during the museum tour there. He was very helpful. He said that, you know, he does get to take vehicles home because that's one of the pride of a lot of museums is that, you know, just in particular the Lane Museum, every vehicle is roadworthy. So they right. encourage their employees to take them home sometimes and, you know, just kind of work them out a little bit because it's good for a car to move it. It's it's bad for them to sit around. So they realize that. And, you know, I, I'm sure that there are limitations. There's certain vehicles there that they're not allowed to bring home, like, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the rally cars and things like, you know, the Group B rally cars right. that show up or vehicles like that that are not you know, road legal, of course. But. And that's why you refuse to volunteer there, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Road rally yeah. or nothing. I'm not taking, not taking a, a Group B rally car home. I'm not doing it. One important note regarding these museums and this travel. So now that I am officially uh, a on-the-road consultant for car stuff, there are going to be times where I'm out of the studio because I'm on some weird mission, and we would love your help recommend some of your favorite museums in your neck of the global woods, some of your favorite car events, racetracks, no spoilers, but we're working on getting car stuff itself back on the road, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. And we would love to hear your recommendations. So let us know. You can let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We mentioned in this episode, we mentioned a lot of stuff that we had recorded previously, like the Dale Car, a couple other stories. If you want to check those out, you can find our podcast, uh, just point your browser to carstuffshow.com, right, we'll, which yeah. will go to our website, and 
you can find us on any anywhere you get podcasts. Just know that I think it's uh, it's Apple Podcasts that only shows you the first 300. That's correct. If you want the full archive, you have to go to iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, I guess, or iHeartRadio.com and check that out there. But there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I think we're, we're, we've got to be getting close to a thousand. No way. I, well, it may be a little ways off because, you know, we're like once a week at this point. So Yeah, well, you know, if we plan this right, you guys, we could get a party sub. Ooh, for episode 1,000. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. That'd be fantastic. I mean, dare to dream. Car Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.